Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, The Cloak of the Brethren. One Man's Encounter with the Illuminati. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, this is no time to be dealing with amateurs. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They utilize the latest scientific technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at this new number, 631-552-5835, 631-552-5835. That's 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. 
Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Happy Thanksgiving to my American listeners, and I hope you enjoyed your turkey and your football, and I hope everyone at your family gathering behaved. Even your crazy Uncle Tanoose from Cleveland. Drew Beeson is standing by in Houston to discuss his new book, Cloak of the Brethren, based on a true story. Just a reminder, I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM tonight, Friday, November the 29th, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Pacific. And I hope you can tune in and listen. Go to coasttocoastam.com and click on the affiliates page to find a radio station near you that carries the program. Also, a gentle reminder, the December issue of my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, will be coming out very soon and I don't want you to miss out. So register your name and email address at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. It literally takes a few seconds. Once you've registered, you'll get the newsletter delivered to your inbox every month, and you'll also qualify for the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merchandise, T-shirts, hoodies, socks, phone cases, tote bags, and more from my Strange Planet shop. And you can find that as well at strangeplanet.ca. Drew Hurst Beeson's second book, The Cloak of the Brethren, is a work of fiction but is based on actual events he experienced while working for several companies in Houston, Texas. Hey Drew, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Pleasure to have you. How much of Cloak of the Brethren is based on true events? I would say the better part of about 70%. 70%. All right. So uh, let's explain to the folks what uh, Cloak of the Brethren is about. Just give us a very rough outline, if you could. Well, it's a story based on uh, my personal experiences when working in uh, corporate America here in Houston, Texas. I've been in the commercial real estate industry for 25 years and I've seen a lot of strange things come and go, and a lot of those things were very uh, secret, if you will, and really had a lot of ties to what I knew about the Illuminati. So the story is about, you know, based on myself and some things that I saw and a really strange request I got at work one day to go find a, a really strange individual that took a, some really crazy twists and turns and had all these links going back to things you hear about the, the Bohemian Club and... Uh, various uh, satanic-looking paintings and symbols and signs that were all kind of interwoven that would just kind of surround certain individuals throughout different companies that I was at. And I came to believe that all this stuff, there was something there because I like to really dig in hard. I want to know if it really exists or not. And if I think that it's, it doesn't exist, I'll move on to something else that will interest me. But I did see things that always kept me coming back and made me a believer that there is something there. 
And, and prior to your experiences in uh, corporate America, and in the book, the character uh, works at a commercial property management firm uh, for these two, uh, two brothers and then their father above them, who is semi-retired. And, uh, but in your case, um, before you got into this company, what, did you have any, any opinions about the existence or non-existence of this secretive group known as the Illuminati? You know, I really did. I, I studied it quite a bit on the Internet. I've always been into all things paranormal and, you know, secret societies and things like that. And I studied it pretty hard. And in the book, I'm talking about one company in particular, but it's actually, uh, I'm combining three different companies and things I saw. But um, I did have a pretty good knowledge of, of what those things were. So when they came, when I came across them, I, I knew what they meant. And I really took heed of it. So I, coming in, I, I thought there was definitely something there. I, thought I always believed in a new world order. And typically, when I would always see these American presidential elections, nothing would really change. It didn't matter if it was... Clintons or Bush or anybody, not a, not a whole lot changed. You had all this buildup going into the election, and then not a, nothing much would change. And I could just see this, you know, this world events would happen that we were, were definitely marching towards this new world order, a one world government, one one currency, and you know, the people that are involved in this whole uh, scam, if you want to call it, or conspiracy, that they're they're content to just keep working towards that goal, even if they don't see it in their lifetime. And it seems to be. What I've seen in these individuals as well, they all seem to be it's some, you know, part of the ladder of this common goal of a one world order. So I did have some pretty strong opinions about it going in. And so I just wanted when I did see these things, I wanted to make sure I double checked them and made sure is this is this really what I'm seeing? And it was. And I think you mentioned the one of the first things that you noticed going on. Uh, in your workplace was uh, people flashing certain Illuminati signs. Just explain a little bit what you saw. Well, I can tell you that, that one of the, the owners of one of these companies who's extremely wealthy, I'll just leave it there, had, has a private golf course at his house. And the name of the course, and if I put it in the book, changed a little bit, called the Dark Horse. But that, that you know, when you go play it, like maybe, you know, it's pretty rare that when you're an employee, you get invited to go do it. But, I was, and it had a Skull and Bones logo on the shirt. And this was this was not a pirate game. I know the difference. It's the Skull and Bones logo. It's the same one that the fraternity at Yale uses, where the bones are right up under the under the uh, you know the top jaw, the chin is removed. And, you know, it's the kind of particular logo they like. You know, it's not just this pirate ship logo. And it, you know, it has it has all those creepy things about it. Of course, it's black with a little bit of white trim. You know, it's the black and white duality. And, you know, there were some other things I would see there that were very, you know, Illuminati and Masonic. And those two go together very well. You have uh, the Masonic properties and the Illuminati properties. It's all the same thing. You know, they would use what I would call Masonic blue a lot. That was like the, the standard color. And if you, want, if you want a good example of that color, and this is strange in itself, is the new Kanye West album, Jesus is King. That is what I would call a Masonic blue. He actually has a vinyl album out. Looks like the old Elvis Presley album, Moody Blue, where the, the vinyl was blue. It's that, that particular color, and it's really prevalent. And that color goes back to you know some of the, the Jewish high priests back in the day. It's got a lot of mystical meaning to it, but it's it, I don't know. It probably even has a certain Pantone. I know everything looks different between a piece of paper or a computer, but it is a it's a certain shade of blue there, and they use that quite a bit. 
And the things were all there, a lot of telltale signs, not just with the skull and bones, but a lot of numerology I would see, um, particularly uh, one really high up person that was obsessed with palindromes, which is you know a number that's the same forwards as it is backwards. I'll give you an example like in the book, 6226. It's the same way forwards and backwards, but this individual, that number meant everything. It held power. It was on license plates. It was every phone number. I'd have to go call the phone company and make sure that we got every phone number that had that as the last four digits. You know, that specific palindrome, it was the secret code for a lot of different things. It was passwords. It was uh, on everyone's cell number you could get it on. It, it was not just, hey, it brings me luck. It was more of an obsession. It, it held power. And I would see things like that, and it was definitely very, very Illuminati-ish. You know, they're on to Gematria. And it's all based on the Kabbalah, Kabbalah magic, which is, you know, just uh, Jewish mysticism, occult science. And I would see that everything seemed to kind of come out of that, you know, just, you know, not any specific rituals, but a modern numerology, of course, the skull and bones logo. And that can be represented in different ways, too. Also with like, uh, like a, a deer head with bones by it. You would see a lot of that on the walls, you know, where some of you would think we're just a hunter. But no, it can also be explained with, with, uh, with like a, a deer head and bone, say, and I really dug into what what does this symbol mean to the, these people? And I can tell you, none of them went to Yale. I can tell you that flat out. Some of them didn't even go to college, but they were still really into the skull and bones image. And you know, one of these guys had it embroidered in a shirt, right. you know, right over the breast pocket, like dress shirts. Well, as you, like, this I, guy, you know, went to a good college, but not Yale. As you mentioned, they, they didn't go to Yale. So, uh, I mean, one does not necessarily have to be a member of Skull and Bones to be uh, in the Illuminati, I would suppose. I mean, I, I haven't read their constitution. I don't know what the requirements are. But is it possible, here is me just playing a little bit of the devil's advocate here or the skeptic, is it possible they're just wannabes? You know, at some level they could be, but I'm talking about some very very wealthy connected people here and you know it still seemed to be you know it could be some you know one or two could be wannabes and not really at the highest level but they're all pretty connected and it's just they don't they wouldn't have to be wannabes you know they've already have all the money so i don't really know why they would just want to do a shout out you know some of these these you know lower people do like a lot of these devil worshiping groups that you can tell aren't, aren't you know, the highest of dollar people at all. But these guys were, you know, most of them were multi-million dollar houses, lots of travel, um, and just really high up people. I just wouldn't think they'd need to be just doing the wannabe program. But, you know, as I said, they don't have to be obviously part of Yale, but the symbol holds power. And, you know, I don't know if you recall this uh, hotel room in Houston, at Hotel Zaza is what it's called. Ah, and they yes. had a 322 room. It was number 322. Of course, that's the Skull and Bones number. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was on Reddit where this guy stayed in the room and they, they uh, for a business conference. And he walked in. It's this really small, cold room. It had pictures of skulls and everything weird. It had a bed with chains on it. It had a mirror, which he described as a two-way mirror. Like something really sinister was going on there. And, uh, of course, he took pictures of it, and I think he sent them to a friend, you know, as he walked into the room, and the friend put him on Reddit pretty quick, and the guy went back downstairs and said, hey, was I supposed to get this room? They said, oh, it's a mistake, we're sorry. Well, the friend had already put the pictures up on Reddit, and as the story goes, the hotel called him and said, hey, we'll, we'll offer you $1,000 to pull him down right now, and the guy was basically, "Not, I don't want your money, and it's too late, they're already up. 
So that began a big conspiracy about this particular hotel, which some of these companies I've been at are connected to in some ways. But this hotel is very, very elaborate, very expensive. The one in Houston, there's two of them now. But the one this happened at uh, was a remodel of an old Hotel Warwick in Houston. I mean, we're talking about the remodel alone must have been $25, $30 million. These people have a lot of money, very powerful. And they don't need to make up this scam of a 322 room and the whole skull and bones just for marketing purposes to get more people in that hotel. It stays booked. Right, right. So there's more going on is what I mean. These guys are already high up to be wannabes, in my opinion. Now, when you were hired at you, – now, the, the, the company, the corporate management company in the book is an amalgam – uh, of several companies that you worked with. Uh, and, I mean, why would they hire an outsider? Uh, did they vet you? Did they, were they at any point trying to perhaps groom you to be, I don't know, one of their minions? Not not a minion at the company, but I mean a minion uh, as far as their more sinister activities were. You know, at one place it's possible but I think they knew when they, you know, like they could tell I was good at things and procuring, you know, information. I think that might have been considered at some point. And then when I think they figured out that I knew something more sinister was going on, I was, uh, I would say forced out, not fired, but forced out because I was getting a little, maybe a little too close to certain things, you know, especially after completing one pretty big task that I, that I did well at. But, uh, you know, I saw a lot of strange things during that past that it was probably some of a liability. So, uh, you know, that's kind of it. But, what, you know, with some of these are, are, are they're too big not to have people that are, that are not part of the club or going to be part of the club. They're just too big. You know, these are, these are a lot of them are just too much going on to where you, you wouldn't have the ability just to bet them like that. Right, right. Now, uh, the Illuminati means different things to different people. And, and some, uh, in some quarters, the Illuminati are seen as this an organization, obviously, that infiltrated the Freemasons, uh, and its its existence is only known at certain levels. Your average Freemason is probably out to do good works, uh, maybe joined it as a social club. It's a fraternity. Uh, they do some charitable work. They often support hospitals. But then at the higher, higher levels, uh, the Illuminati is said to exist. But we're also told that the Illuminati uh, consists of sort of an ancient bloodline. Now, I don't know about these these certain families in, in Houston, but um, was that your understanding that they, that they perhaps, uh, because it sort of sounds like they were maybe sort of nouveau riche, you know, not necessarily uh, related by blood to some of these families. What do you, could you elaborate on that? Sure. You know, I've read that a lot, where a lot of these are families, and you talk about some of the royal bloodlines and their involvement, some of the some of the original families uh, that are in the Illuminati, you've seen names like Russell and Vanderbilt, you know, some of the old old money like you're talking about, and, and I think that is true, where you do see some of the generational stuff. I've never seen that here. I, you know, I, w- I couldn't tell, you know, a lot of the, you know, going back at least just two generations where the families were pretty poor, and they, they were pretty much nouveau riche and came into quite a bit of money, but it makes me think that they 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 were just somehow made aware of the power they can draw from different forms of magic, you know, based on like I said, the Kabbalah and also Santeria magic, which is you know the South American form of voodoo, I think, and uh, it all goes back to the Kabbalah. All forms of black magic do, and the parts of Freemasonry that work. I mean, Freemasonry is based on the Kabbalah. You could read so many different 
quotes from high up Freemasons like Albert Pike, of course. He said if you took away the Kabbalah out of Freemasonry, you, you wouldn't be left with much at all. Uh, there's another quote I read. It's like Freemason uh, Freemasonry is Kabbalism in another garb. Uh, a Freemason called a D.P. Castell said that. There's several quotes where they where they admit that. And what I think is is you're not really part of these families, but somehow were able to find out about this esoteric knowledge, and they, they use it in their favor to gain riches. And and more so than that, I think they believe in what Skull and Bones represents, and I've studied that really hard. And to them, it represents life. They're only, you know, it's a death symbol, of course, but to them it represents life. They're only on the earth for, for a short period of time, and then when they're done here, they will be gods themselves. And that's their means to an end. This is just temporary here for them on earth, and why not go ahead and enrich yourself? And then when you're dead, you will be a god yourself. You know, it's just like a bigger form of new age, new ageism, if you will. And I, I truly think they they believe that. And I think here they use these these occult sciences to enrich themselves. And by into this, they are God's thing. And I don't know if they come from the families. They don't really need to, but they're they're somehow found out about the esoteric knowledge of of, of the magic. I think is a better way of putting it. Uh, they gave you a special assignment, um, or several, I guess, but uh, talk to me about the one uh, that really sort of, I guess, had you the most concerned that involved a uh, a former Vietnam uh, special operations um, agent, I guess. Yeah, it did. It was a really strange thing. I had one of my, uh, one of my bosses uh, got back from a trip pretty short trip and called me all the way from the airport and said i got you know and he was really rattled i've never heard him like this pretty pretty calm guy uh, most of the time you know even under even under a, you know pressure i've seen him you know, he's just be really smooth but he called me he's really really wound up and he said i need you you need to find somebody for me you know quickly and because if you have to go hire a private investigator just go do it and i'm like okay okay what do you want me to do i want you to find this person for me and i said okay and then he basically you know at that point of the phone call in the car got to the office and still on his phone, you know, marching down the mine all hyped up and said, you know, here's this guy I want you to go find. He was an ex-Vietnam Special Forces guy. His, uh, his son was a, was a quarterback at one of his colleges in, in Texas. It was somewhat well-known. He goes, you might start trying to find him, and but we got to find this guy. It's really important. He didn't really give me a reason at that point why I needed to go find him, but, uh, you know, I eventually – got as much information as I could from him and he said he could be anywhere in the world. I go, that's kind of strange. So I started digging in on this, this person and found all these strange uh, things on the internet from him. There was this uh, crazy guy down in, in, in um, the Philippines that had all these negative articles about this person I was looking for who was this ex-Vietnam Special Forces. He raced airplanes too. Really interesting guy. But he was also a con man, I'd find out, and, and a hitman. I mean, do, do all these strange stuff. I mean, this is stranger than fiction. But this uh, guy down in the Philippines had, you know, had all these blogs on the internet about how this particular you know, Vietnam person we're talking about scammed me out of money, he gave me fake stem cell injections, he, he, you know, robbed me of, you know, millions of Thai bot, and and I, you know, I want to get my money back. If you ever encountered this guy, you need to get away from him. He's been involved in all these various scams, and if you find him. You, you need to you need to stay away. He's, he's extremely dangerous, and it was just really interesting stuff. I mean, the guy that said he was blogging all this wasn't the most credible person, and it, it was I would find you know this guy actually has YouTube videos of doing all these different things, companies he has in 
the Philippines, and it was just really strange, all the stories I find out about the Vietnam guy. So I asked one of the bosses who, who knew him, and it was the reason two of the bosses knew each other, and uh, just said, you know, I read all this stuff about this guy. He's like kind of a hitman. He's uh, a fraudster. He claims to be a doctor when he's not. And I go, is any of that true? He said, oh, yeah, it's all true. Have you found him yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't found him yet, but uh, I'm getting close. I think I can. You know, I'm just still working on it. And then I found uh, one tie that the person that introduced the two of them, that this Vietnam guy was really connected to, was a pretty prominent member of the Bohemia Club. And that's the, the, the social club in, in San Francisco that's connected to Bohemian Grove out in the, you know, the wine country in, in Sonoma County, California. And the guy was pretty high up in that. So I found that connection there, which was real Illuminati-ish. But, uh, you know, long story short, I, I, I finally found this guy for them. And I don't know what they needed from him, but they were desperate to find it. And all these strange twists and turns happened after that. But, you know, I proved myself to him by finding him. But, you know, after I did, maybe I was expendable because I found out all this these crazy connections that, that this that this person had, but I, I still to this day they would not be straight about why they wanted to find them, but I, I did find them. But it, it's pretty harrowing stuff. More of my conversation with Drew Beeson when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's Friday again. That means another visit from Christian Decadure of Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. Hey, Christian, welcome, my friend. Richard, it's always great to uh, to talk to you and uh, to be back on your show. You and I both love gadgets, and we've talked about the different tools of the trade. And uh, you had another gadget you wanted to talk to me about today. Well, there's this one particular gadget that we use from an investigative standpoint. And those who know me know uh, that I'm a little unorthodox when it comes to my uh, investigative tactics. I, I'm not a, I don't like to follow the trends and what other people are doing. I try to be as unique as possible. There is an individual who is, I'm just going to give him a quick plug because it's his product, Jeremy Jones from Paranologies. He has manufactured a product that I've been using extensively, and it is called a phonopod. And essentially what it is, 
it's an omnidirectional high, uh, it's like a microphone that picks up whispering at a very low level. It, it is a level which the average human hearing ability would not be able to pick up. And it is a great product. And I use that on a lot of investigations where we're working, where we are have reason to believe or where the homeowner has informed us or the property owners informed there's something going on there. This is a really cool product because we can leave it there by itself, put on a head the headphones, walk away. But uh, before even doing that, we would hook up our our tape recorder. I I use an Olympus recorder for both EVPs and other things. But I hook up my Olympus recorder to the phonopod, and the phonopod will actually capture subsonic frequency sounds. So it's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced specifically for EVP, which stands for electric uh, voice phenomena. It is fantastic. I mean, I can actually even hear insects. I can hear mice and rats in the walls. It's one of the coolest things I've ever used. And it's simply amazing. Fantastic. You know, one of these days, we should play some of your your best A-grade EVPs on the program. What do you think? Oh, I think that would just be great. Absolutely, for sure. It's called the Phonopod. Yeah, the Phonopod. It's uh, it's a great item for people that really want to concentrate on EVPs. It's a must-have for any type of paranormal investigation. All right, folks, if you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, you better call in the professionals. Christian D. Kedger, give us a 1-866 number. Absolutely. My number is 1-866-724-0800, or you can contact us at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Christian D. Cadieu, the real John Constantine. Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited. With Richard Serrett. Drew Beeson, the author of Cloak of the Brethren, is here. These owners of the various companies that you worked with that you suspected were uh, Illuminists, um, how did they behave uh, socially? Did they have families and did they have, were there any sort of outward, outward signs? Did they present themselves? as sort of, you know, respectable, upstanding citizens? Or would it be readily apparent that they, I don't know, were they Satanists? You know, uh, that's a great question. And they weren't, uh, I will say this, they were never any any particular part of one particular political party or not, which is very interesting. Um, But they had some very satanic things around them. Like, I'll go back to the paintings. There were paintings in the offices, literally, of demons. There was one one of a giant blue demon, literally, carting a sky off to hell. And that would be you know, what you would look at when you were in, in the lunchroom. And then there was another one where it was these, these, these buildings, which was kind of abstract, but there were like these office buildings on fire with flames coming out of the window and uh, wizards flying around and, and a and a ram at the top, which is representative of Satan, was kind of presiding over this madness and a guy at the bottom holding a bomb, and and uh, 
you know, they'd always have some just benign reason for what the painting meant. You would ask, what does this mean? You know, I knew it was satanic. I mean, growing up with a mother like I had, really strict Southern Baptist, East Texan, was taught me from a young age, you know, if it's not pleasing to God, it's, it's pleasing to the other guy. And I knew that. Like, numerology, she said, that's of Satan. I mean, people getting drugs, they're, they're dealing with Satan. They just don't see him yet, you know, but it's there. So I knew it inherently when I would see these paintings. And these are satanic. And, um, and you would go to their homes, you would see more of these paintings. One's from an artist called uh, Donald Roller Wilson. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but he paints these paintings of a chimpanzee. And the chimpanzee is smoking cigarettes, and there's all these weird symbols around the chimpanzee. It's, good. it's a, from a series called Brenda's Nut Farm. And these, you know, like a smaller one, like a two-by-three original painting from this guy, runs about thirty-five to $40,000. And they're, they're done with the skill of a Dutch master. But you're like, who would pay $35,000 for a picture of, of a monkey, basically? Well, these people would, and they did. Uh, Dan Aykroyd had one of these paintings that Terry Fisher had bought him. And Dan Aykroyd, you probably know pretty well from, from being a Canadian as well. I kind of grew up in this mystical upbringing and thing. And uh, he had one of these paintings, and he said it freaked his kids out so bad he had to get rid of it. So the, the behind the lines, there's, there's some kind of power in it. There's some kind of magic. Maybe this guy's channeling something to be able to paint with that level of skill, but all these weird symbols. And you, can, well, I, you know, you stand in front of it, you feel an energy to it. You know, it's, it's, it's satanic. It's, it's definitely, it's not Christian. It's not, you know, uh, anything other than it's definitely a, an evil. It's that, uh, you just feel it in your soul. There's no other way to describe it. They do give off a power. And it's not just that. There's, there's different what they had. One of them had one of a picture of the Virgin Mary that would cry. You know, that would seem something pretty religious, but I don't know what the tie-in was. It would be surrounded by all these other very, very occult themes like, uh, Egyptian pyramids with, with Saturn above, you know, a lot of the cultists right. worship Saturn, Saturn worship represented by the black cube. You would see paintings of black cubes. Uh, and mainly what would tip you off to that, it would be things like paintings they were, they'd like to be surrounded with. And I saw that over and over. The title of the book, The Cloak of the Brethren, and whenever I see these cloaked figures, and you allude to the, the movie in the book, I think of... Stanley Kubrick's last film, Eyes Wide Shut. I was Did you witness anything like that? Did did you, I don't know, by accident open a broom closet and find one of these robes or where did the uh, the the, uh, the title of the book come from? Well, the title really just comes from them being, you know, thinly thinly cloaked that they're into this kind of magic and and and, and things like that. I never ran into any any you know rope from from something like a movie, but I would hear stories. You know, they would have private clubs where you would, would you need access to get in. Which I saw the existence of the clubs. Of course, obviously, I would be in a mansion and building, and you would see the club, and I would hear stories about it from other people. Uh, you know that they were that were more connected to it. You know, I wasn't at that level. I, you know, my uncle is a really he's not one of these type of guys, but he's a really wealthy. Uh, has a real estate empire of his own, uh, you know, like he likes to say, uh, right family tree, wrong branch when talking about me. So I didn't get any of it, but <laughs> really high up guy. And, uh, you know, knows, knows, you know, knows enough of these people. He can run in those circles because of his, because of his wealth and power, but you know, he's not into this, but he can tell, yeah, I've heard that. Or, you know, other people tell me, yeah, I've heard those things might be going on because, you know, similar to that. So that's where I kind of got it from and just knowing other people that, you know, secondhand for sure, but but there's there's a lot of smoke. Right. I'll well, that way. and your uncle, who who uh, sort of plays at their level in terms of his his business acumen and his his wealth and so forth. If you're not in the club, quote end quote, uh, does that constitute a serious 
barrier to doing business in Houston? In other words, if you're not uh, in the Illuminati, you'll only get so far? Uh, you know, not really. It certainly didn't hamper him. But, uh, I, you know, from what I've seen, no. I think they have their, their, their preferred people. And then, you know, sometimes these opposing forces can run up against each other, which I've seen that as well. But uh, I, have, I have definitely seen these particular companies, uh, you know, do business with each other. And you can kind of see it with, with their symbols and their, their, their company logos. You know, some of these, will, you know, you could add up. Clearly, you would see a new one come out, and you're like, God, it's not the logo. It's so ugly. But if you looked at it, you could break it apart and say, okay, here's these two letters, we'll just say, and you can add them up to 666. If you just count the lines, and it's simple. It's, it's not your imagination. You can count it up, and they, they do like that. I know going back to the Bible, you know, people talk about, oh, that's not what he meant. You know, he meant uh, Caesar, whatever, was 666, but, it, but they are also into that number. For whatever reason, if they're wannabes or not, they, the number still seems to hold power, and a lot of the logos will incorporate 666 into in some form of fashion. Or maybe they just have a very Masonic meaning, you know, like Saturn, you know, the little crescent moon, which you see in a lot of corporate logos, Capital One. A lot of these bigger companies have all those symbols in them, which I studied really intently, and there's definitely something behind them. I don't, I don't think it could be just one, some, you know, the graphic artist community saying, let's throw that in there. You know, lots of triangles. You know, of course, that represents in the Illuminati, the top of the pyramid, where all the, you know, which is holds the the, the eye of Horus, which is the eye of Lucifer, and you know, uh, it's where they come down. But you know, to answer your question, I think you know, in the in a city this big, you don't, I don't think you have to be part of the club, but there's a lot of people that are, and they have some way of, of finding out who they are. I mean, that's just the way I've seen it. But uh, it is nice to have some people that I'm connected to that will tell you certain things, you know, going back to that, that uncle, it's like, you know, if you want to talk about JFK a little bit, his one of his best friends is John Connolly the third. Ah. And of course his parents were in the car when JFK was, was, was yes. assassinated. And he, I'd ask him, Hey, what do you think about the lone gunman theory? And he'd say, I think it's BS. And he didn't say BS, say the other word. So you, know, right. you get little things like that that are, that are kind of neat. So it's right. Like well, Governor Connolly, Governor Connolly, Governor Connolly, and his 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 wife, the first lady of Texas at the time. Neither of them believed in the second, uh, in a, in a in the lone bullet theory, the magic bullet theory that supposedly went through Kennedy's neck, through his throat, through Connolly taking out four inches of uh, four inches of rib, I think, or four ribs and a radius bone, and going through fifteen inches of muscle and 15 layers of clothing and then ended up yeah. on, in pristine condition on the gurney at Parkland Hospital. Um, so yeah, the, the so it sounds like you sort of stumbled into the local chapter uh, of the Illuminati. Uh, do you think they, I mean, did you have kind of a, a sense that they would they would all gather, would they get up and, and let's say, move to uh, and have meetings in one place? Was it the Bohemian Grove or was it, uh, where would these these local chapters all sort of congregate or do they do it sort of online and in secret? You know, probably mostly in secret, but there was definitely a lot of a lot of Masonic ties, like I said, in Mason, as you pointed out, uh, most of these guys, I know two pretty well, Freemasons, one's a 32nd degree guy, and I, I don't think they're sinister at all. I think that they, they would never switch religions over to anything like that, but uh, the, uh, you know, I think that there probably was some some kind of meeting up between them at some level, maybe at a Masonic Lodge. One of them was basically on a property that we had, <laughs> but, uh, 
and it was you know a big a big one. And uh, you know, I read things about you know Monday Thursday that the Freemasons were in the sinister uh, cult gathering called Monday Thursday, and sure enough, I'd go by one of these places, and there would be a ton of cars there that night. So it always kept me kept me wondering. But you know, it's probably mostly online and, and, and in business. It's just kind of like putting out, like I said, the logo on your business card. We're part of the club. Kind of thing. I don't. I don't think they would ever really probably congregate at something like the Grove. I mean, you got to be pretty high up to go to go to those things, right? Ex presidents and, and things. But yeah, to what I could tell, probably not. You know, probably more online and just kind of in, in when you would meet someone. You know, and they would also have ties uh, to different investors from different places, like uh, Montreal, Canada. That seems to be a really hotbed of uh, of. Uh, you know, kind of this uh, Illuminati type stuff and McGill University. I've, I've seen you know, one company in particular that I was at had a lot of ties to, to that. Hmm. Interesting. And people from there, which was very interesting. Yeah. We would get into people that had highly ties to McGill, which, you know, they'd say all the, a lot of the MK Ultra yes. stuff came out of. Uh, McGill and, and, and um, I saw a lot of that. Yes, McGill University and Allen Memorial Hospital in the, uh, the 50s and 60s. Definitely there was. Uh, some MK Ultra activity there. Uh, I'm not sure the number of women that were victimized, uh, and it's not hearsay. These women, and this was done with the complicity of the Canadian government and the CIA. These women were drugged, massive doses of uh, LSD. Their memories essentially were uh, permanently damaged, and um, uh, they many of them have uh, settled out of court. Big class action lawsuits. So this is a matter of public record. It happened. Um, what do you think they're up to? Uh, I mean, this is not just a businessman's club. There must be something more sinister. I mean, I'm asking you, I guess, to speculate or maybe you, you heard or saw evidence of, but any any other activity like, I don't know, blood sacrifices or worse? I've never heard of any of that, obviously. If I did, I would definitely reported somewhere i wouldn't want that on my conscience that i saw anything that could even lead to that but you know nothing nothing close to that just 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 basic level of, of, of what i would call the magic you know uh, numbers chainings you know uh, symbols you know you'd see a lot of these twin columns like the, the columns of freemasonry that they call Josh and Boaz, you would see, you know, just a lot of this Masonic Illuminati type symbols from people that you knew weren't even, you know, in a Masonic lodge, which were really strange. But nothing going, nothing going to that level of any, any blood sacrifice or whatever. I don't think, I don't know if it's, it's just kind of my personal feeling. I know some of them are probably definitely into that, but maybe not all. Maybe there's just different levels that they're into and how deep do you want to go. Uh, you know, I'm sure there is a lot of that. You know, I've studied the satanic ritual abuse stuff quite a bit. Uh, you know, and it's you know, still to this day, there's some couple of big cases of that. It, you know, here in the states, there was one in Austin, Texas, and one in California. It's pretty well known. To this day, they don't know that it happened because there's a lot of young kids claiming that it did, and a lot of things are kind of still kind of you know, fifty fifty that they happen, or these kids just have vivid imaginations. You don't know, but it does seem like there is you know a certain level that they can cover it up with. Right, so right. I, You're talking about like child's, like child sex yeah, slave rings. Sex slave rings. Yeah, you know, pedophilia rings and, and, right. and uh, ritual abuse, satanic ritual abuse, SRA. Yes. Well, you know, we, like we've that. been talking about those sorts of things on programs like this uh, for, for decades. Uh, I've had, you know, people hinting at it, talking about it, naming names. And, of course, uh, now with the Jeffrey Epstein uh, situation and Prince Andrew, perhaps, involved, it's all really finally starting to, 
to, to percolate to the surface uh, while the mainstream media does its its best to sort of duck and cover. Um, what about for you, yeah, writing, writing a book like this? They know who you are. Uh, maybe they've read the book. Do you, do you suspect there could be some blowback for this? You're outing them. No, I don't. I don't think so. I'm not really trying to out anyone. I mean, I never saw anything that bad. So it's just, you know, just symbols and things that they like. So, you know, nothing that bad. You know, I don't really worry about it. I just, I, I just think that I'm interested in that I see. I just, I just report what I see. You know, if I see it, it's real. I don't have to worry. It's, it's there. I mean, I didn't imagine it. So I don't worry too much about it. Right. So the point is here, you, you know, you're just sort of an, an average uh, American going to work every day, and you you caught a glimpse of this. You caught a glimpse, yeah. and maybe even a little bit more of a glimpse. Uh, and I'm wondering how many other people are there like you out there, who now, after hearing this, or maybe reading your book, or maybe they just they just know, after doing some research, they've had similar experiences, and then you know, more and more voices are added to this, and then we'll really get a sense of how how big this really is. Yeah, how deep does the rabbit hole go? You know, you know, that's it's kind of one of my, my the new things that I'm, I'm really getting into now is how deep do the Masonic ties go and with, with some of these murders, I mean I'm really into the to, to the uh, the Zodiac killer case and writing a book on that. And there does seem to be a few Masonic things going on there. And and uh, you know I think the John Benet Ramsey case has some deep Masonic ties to it, definitely in that one. And, and I was just wondering if, this, if they are part of this network that allowed them to, to evade punishment or, or capture. It's looking at John Bonet. That was crazy how that turned out. You know, the grand jury doesn't come up with anything. It was there were pretty strong stuff that, that, that let's just say the family was involved, and it never really went anywhere. And, you know, there was definitely some, some, some Masonic ties to that group for sure, and it could have helped them evade you know, punishment, in my opinion. You know, I think it just seems like that is a network there that somehow is protecting them. I don't know how deep it is. I know there's some cases over in England where they, where they would see that over and over where this guy might come up for a murder and he gets off because of who he knows or what group he's in and you know, judges and things would resign over it would disgust him so much. But that's, that's what fascinates me the most. How deep does it go? And if you're just a member, does that mean you can get away with anything? If you run up against the judges in your club, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. To say the least, Cloak of the Brethren. Drew, how do people get a copy? You can find it on Amazon.com. Amazon.com, of course. A Cloak of the Brethren. Drew Hurst Beeson. Thanks so much for your time. Great meeting you and happy U.S. Thanksgiving. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs... I'll be back in a flash with a few words about episode 317. Don't miss the Black Friday sale at my Strange Planet shop. From today until December 4th, you'll receive 20% off all orders when you use the code HOLIDAY20. That's HOLIDAY, all caps, and the number 20 with no spaces. HOLIDAY20. Men's classic tees, women's comfort tees, sweatshirts, hoodies, phone cases, socks, tote bags, and more with some really cool designs like the Mayan calendar, crop circles, Nazca lines, and much more. Just go to strangeplanet.ca 
and click on the Strange Planet Shop button. Happy shopping! Be sure to be listening Monday, a most disturbing trend as the radical left ramp up the indoctrination of young people on college campuses across North America. At Yale University last summer, they were demanding that English courses drop, you know, Shakespeare and Milton and all their great uh, writers of the English language. There was a class requirement for all English students. They had to take this certain class, which taught all the great English of the English language. Well, they didn't like it because it was too white and too male. Thus, they wanted more minority writers and more LGBT writers and more people with alternative identities in that course because that didn't represent the students. So instead of focusing on the merit and the quality and the influence of the writer, they simply just cared about their skin color. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 